Hey everybody, Mark Sadowski here with Tiny Shutter. I recently had a chance to talk to Ben Sandowski over from Halide. Uh, he is one of the co-creators of Halide and Spectre, apps that we absolutely love on the iPhone. And it was such an honor to have him on the show. But more importantly, this was a way to get him to talk about limitations that the iPhone has when doing long exposure photography and kind of photographing on a raw file. And basically, we brought Ben on to talk about this because he has an expertise in creating these camera apps. And what better person to, to have on to explain it to us. So enjoy this interview. Part of it is up on our YouTube channel uh, where I take the piece that directly involves raw photography on the iPhone, but enjoy this because we geek out about everything. I geek out about the, the Halide and the Spectre apps. So enjoy this, uh, geek out fast. Uh, this is unedited, mostly unedited. And, uh, I had a lot of fun talking to him. So enjoy. I want to introduce to tiny shutter, Ben Sadowski. He is the co-founder of Lux Optics, which to everybody else, he is one, uh, one of the co-founders and uh, the, the company develops some of the most popular apps uh, on, on the Apple uh, store. We're talking about none other than Halide and Spectre. Uh, they, are, uh, a, they are camera apps that we have talked about and did videos on many, many times. And, and it is absolutely up there in our top five favorite camera apps. So Ben, it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here and to talk camera stuff. Uh, you know, I love to hear from people who are using the apps and get feedback and talk all sorts of uh, low level stuff. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. Um, first off, uh, Spectre. Uh, this has been my i have several uh slow shutter cam apps that that i've used but the moment that specter came out bam right to the top of the list um it is probably my favorite scouting app in that anytime i'm in someplace new and i don't have any of my photography gear with me this will allow me to one get a good idea of um, where I want to do some serious photography with uh, the heavy camera gear later down the road. And it gives me a great look and feel of what to expect when, when I do bring that heavy gear. Uh, and I don't need a tripod, which has been a, a, an amazing godsend to kind of get an idea of um uh, of volume coming in and, and what the, the end product will be when, when I do bring in the heavy guns. But most importantly, it's a great camera app, even if you're just focused on iPhone photography, when you, when you want to do long exposure. It is amazing uh, that you could do this without, with, without a tripod. Um, so my my first comments are hats off <laughs> thank you thank for, you for thanks uh, thank you thank you for the very kind words uh yeah i'm really happy to hear uh, you're enjoying it and yeah thanks uh 
Thanks. <laughs> so first and foremost, before we talk about um, the, the every, everything else that, that your amazing company is doing, um, we are uh, here to talk about the biggest question that I am uh, receiving. And I have been getting this nonstop since, uh, since November. Slow shutter photography on the iPhone. Why is there no raw option for uh, for the iPhone? Sure, that's a great question. And so there's a technical reason and there's the product reasoning behind like uh, how we'd explore it. So the technical reason is that um, the iPhone hardware is capped uh, at the native raw uh, exposure duration at one second on the latest devices. Some of the older devices are at like half a second uh, or less. I think some old, old devices are like only one third of a second. And that's for an actual native capture. So when you use the API, you say, I want an exposure of this duration, fire it off. Uh, and honestly, the reason that Apple does this, uh, it's not some kind of conspiracy to make you buy, <laughs> like the next iPhone will be two seconds. Uh, no, um, there are actual thermal reasons uh, behind these devices. So anyone who's done astral photography probably knows, like if you're doing like a two minute exposure, I've heard of people doing like uh, uh, liquid cooling and like crazy cooling rigs because the longer that you have the sensor active uh, voltage going through it, the warmer it's going to get, right? And the warmer it gets, the more presumably Apple's done the numbers and knows the wear and tear on the hardware. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it, uh, the one thermal consideration is the fact that these modern devices are effectively waterproof. So if you can't get any liquid in, I don't know how heat would find a way of uh, making its way out, right? But yeah. at the end of the day, it's, it's thermal. I don't work at Apple, so I can't answer for sure all the consideration. But it's our understanding, like, there's no reason Apple would ever like point. Apple would never go and say, oh, yeah, let the Android phones do something we can't. Right. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they had debates internally of like, yeah, but the other ones can do this. So it, it ultimately boils down to wear and tear on the hardware and uh, thermal reasons. Right. Yeah. Um, so that said, uh, and we're seeing this now with ProRAW is that there is this now kind of middle ground with raw. Uh, it wasn't even started with pro raw. If you do video work, there's this type of like semi-raw, like black magic uh, design. They make cameras that create black magic raw, which isn't raw raw like you'd expect from a, um, a traditional still camera. Yeah. So basically those raws are taking actual scene referred raws and doing computational photography to merge them into longer exposures, right? Or, or in the case of ProRAW, they aren't doing a longer exposure so much as they're doing noise reduction through image stacking, right? Yes. So there is a realm that some devices do uh, that they're able to reproduce RAW uh, using all of these, you know, computational photography, working in scene-referred space. And um, that kind of brings in the product consideration is that uh, in the case of Spectre, to your point, uh, you love it to use it as a scouting app and it's just so approachable, right? You just yes. tap a button and it works. So we don't talk about future features because, you know, we don't, we don't want to promise something and then we get to build it and it doesn't really pan out. So you yeah. know, I'm not going to commit to like, you know, being able to reproduce any of that computationally, but I will say that the nice thing about Spectre is it's a tap one, uh, tap a button, it captures, and you don't have to go through raw development. 
So yes. if even if you provide a raw, like if you've shot, you know, a 30 second exposure on a digital SLR, I've got, I've got a digital SLR. I love doing um, astral photography, but you still have to develop it. Like the stars aren't going to come out because it's an inherently high dynamic range scene, right? Yes. So you still have to then, even if you solve the raw problem, how do you get something that a casual user can tap a button and create a reproducible result? And that's actually one of the reasons that with Halide, when we launched Mark II uh, earlier, uh, actually end of last year, one of our top considerations there was getting just raw as a concept, more approachable to everyday users who, who don't have access to pro raw yet, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's product considerations in addition to hardware, but there's no way to get a true native raw. And in fact, even with pro raw support, there are some people who are like, of course, commenters on photography forums are like, well, it isn't a real raw. <laughs> like, come on, come on. It's like it's scene referred. You get like whatever, 12 stops of dynamic range. Come on. So I, uh, And so yeah, I want two memory card slots, um, uh, yep. IBIS, and I, I, I want it all front under $1,000. And oh, and I want a flippy screen. <laughs> exactly, of course. So there's always those users. So um, so that's the reason. And um, I would say that even if Apple opened it up, man, I would love if uh, if they do longer exposures. Like right now, they don't do night mode as a native API um, from first party camera. And I think that they're kind of aware that, that a lot of apps, not even camera photography apps, like if you're using like a, a, an Instagram or a social networking app, it'd be nice to get a low light photo without having to leave your favorite camera app, go into the main camera, tap night mode. So, you know, there's a lot of things that could trickle down, um, but, you know, it's hard to read the tea leaves and know when they might show up. Yeah. And so with the the solutions that, that uh, Spectre and uh, I, I can't say that everybody does it the same way, but um, the the solution is uh, technically how does specter capture a long exposure is is it a, i'm imagining it's a series of photos that mm -hmm. are computationally creating the blur like sure. what is oh, yeah. that blur like how how does that come about so we yep um so we can't even perform it using the native capture api because there's a latency and even if you fire a bunch of captures at once uh, so one Backing up, we basically have to create a long exposure by merging together multiple photos, similar yes. if you've used image stacking in Photoshop, right? And so there's a certain trickiness to it because you need to, um, each image, let's say it's a 4K image, yep. that takes about 50 megabytes of memory per image. So if you were to take like 100 of those, that's, <laughs> what is that? What is that? Five gigabytes? That would be right? close, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so even like, so the current phones, Usually when you reach the one gigabyte mark, the system gets upset with you and you start entering the territory it wants to crash. So there's no way to really shot for shot do what Photoshopper is doing, which is you load all the photos and do them all together like that. Yeah. So we're kind of like um, juggling bowling balls, whereas each image comes in to the stack, we're finding a way to merge it with the pre-existing image to create the long exposure as you watch it. So it's like you're watching the photo develop. Yes. Um, which is kind of funny about the effect you're seeing on screen, where it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of showing you exactly what the system is creating. It's not like a special effect. It's delightful to watch, but um, uh, it's not a special effect. You're actually seeing the long exposure develop in front of you. And so there are some considerations. What's interesting, and I said earlier about high dynamic range images, 
uh, modern iPhones, you'd think that taking like a processed JPEG would be inferior to taking a RAW, right? Yeah, Which it is. If you know, you and I are photo nerds, we could develop an amazing RAW that can, you know, beat the pants off a JPEG. But what's amazing is the real time feed that comes in on modern iPhones is actually doing high dynamic range tone mapping, uh, global and local tone mapping, which is why in the viewfinder you get such a remarkable image because yeah. it's actually dodging and burning the image for you in real time. That's amazing. So basically we take the stack of um, uh, tone mapped images and use that to merge together long exposure with um, some different image registration algorithms, computer vision algorithms, uh, so that, you know, every arm uh, is inherently shaky, just like that's just the way our muscle work. So, yeah. you know, we have to do some basic image registration and um, to create the final exposed image. It's like a whole, whole, whole subset of uh, computer vision research there. And uh, it's definitely, you know, it's just, there's so much more we want to do with it. And we're still exploring like different algorithms and different effects you're trying to accomplish, right? Because right now it's just, there's, there's, there's multiple ways you could attack this problem depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So um, yeah, we're just always researching. And it's amazing. And I, I gotta <laughs> say that when I when your app first launched for, for that moment, like uh, me and my, my team were, my team was excited at first. Uh, I was not because the, just like you said, you know, the shakiness, I have that to, like the nth degree. And, and so I was skeptical at first. And then when I tried it and did it and did it successfully and got a good product out of it, I'm like, sold. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like uh, also after we got our initial round of feedback from users, like as we were testing how it was handle, handling shakiness, I, uh, I would test it after having a couple of cups of coffee. <laughs> like, <laughs> or how am I doing here? Like, uh, yeah. So everyone like just natural muscles and yeah, but yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's only yeah, gotten it's... better with time. I, I remember mm -hmm. it when, when you launched, uh, and again, I'm trying to remember, uh, far back and, and last year counts as two years. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. it's the before time. Yeah. The before time. Yeah. Uh, so you, you had like a few bugs, but man, you were on top of everything, uh, addressing everything, uh, taking care of those bugs ASAP and Thanks. then, you know, getting everything launched. So the dedication to photography has been outstanding uh, because you, you, you and your team have been um, like, like the, the, this, this is going to be like a very praiseworthy episode. <laughs> um, uh, it, we, we just love the, the openness to, to what you and your team are doing and, and being able to explain things like all that computational stuff. I'm going to pretend I understood most of it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but there was, a. I mean, it, it is enlightening that uh, uh, like how, how the, the, the process is um, uh, made. And um, one thing that I've always wanted to kind of like wonder is, is this computational photography ever going to be useful for regular cameras for example your the 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 benefit to specter and other si slow shutter simulation apps is that you could do this in broad daylight without having mm -hmm. to worry about filters or anything like that has this technology ever been considered for regular cameras so it's it's funny you should say that um so you look at traditional 
uh, Sebastian calls them, uh, Sebastian's uh, the other co-founder, he calls them big cameras. The big cameras, So yeah. digital SLRs. <laughs> so, you know, big, big camera companies have a reputation for being behind the times as far as like, if you've ever seen the interface of some of these, it's like ripped out of 1998, right? So, yeah. Um, you know, but uh, so it's interesting because modern cameras do actually do some um, computer vision work. Like I was reading about different metering algorithms. So you have like, you know, center metering um, for figuring out the right exposure, spot metering. But I was reading that actually modern digital SLRs are smart enough to do basic computer vision image recognition so they can see okay this is a field of flowers i should meter it this way so they basically recognize the scene and fine-tune the algorithm uh, algorithm there um certainly like there's researchers who've worked on google pixel and they have amazing uh, work there where they'll take you know thousands and thousands of images to seed their um, uh, machine learning and based on how users have typically exposed the scene like if you're taking a photo of a sunset sunset that's a classic high dynamic range problem where you want yeah. do you want the sunset in, uh, exposed do you want the user's face do you want to do tone mapping and so if you recognize it's a sunset you can do a t completely different algorithm than a low dynamic range image where you just kind of like yeah it's okay for everything like a classic one there would be a foggy scene right you don't want it to be like super punchy you want to feel like the kind of like low dynamic range because it gives you that mood right yeah so modern cameras even digital slrs that are like not regularly downloading updates from the internet, they're feeding in the um, algorithms to figure out these metering. So um, as far as producing images, that's an interesting question, right? Because you kind of have to ask, are the people who, like you and me who love big cameras, do we want the, uh, in the case of like tone mapping, do we want to give all that control to this AI? And in the case of an iPhone, they kind of have to because you only can go so far with the size of the sensor. It's like the size of a fingernail, right? Versus yeah. like some big old medium format one where you get all the light, right? So it's kind of ironic that these inferior devices that have to kind of like make up for the hardware with a superior software, in many cases, they're just doing laps now around traditional big cameras. And again, I return to like ProRAW. If you've, um, you know, ProRAW has some trade-offs with traditional RAW as far as sharpness, and Sebastian wrote, uh, um, actually, he contributed a bunch of those test photos in our recent blog post explaining ProRAW. I uh, definitely recommend checking it out because, anyway, ProRAW, it creates these super high dynamic range RAW files that you can do incredible work on, or you can just tap a button, and it just great, creates great results out of the camera. So we are kind of in that spot right now where even if you're a pro, like, honestly, it's the results I'm seeing on the iPhone 12 Pro Max are like, in many ways, I look at my digital SLR from like five years ago, and it's just running laps around it as far as dynamic range, uh, as far as detail recovery. Um, it's just like low light performance. It's just kind of ridiculous uh, how powerful they are, but that doesn't really replace. And I think ProRaw now bridges that gap where, okay, if you disagree with the technical decisions it's made, okay, cool turn off a couple buttons. Um, I think Lightroom now supports it. You can turn off its local tone mapping. You can turn off some of the, uh, the other goodness it gives you and you can just fiddle the knobs as much as you want, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that ProRaw, it gives you all the latitude as you had with um, a digital SLR, but then none of the, you know, but also gives you good results out of the box that you get from all these computational algorithms. Yeah. So let, let's dive into a little bit deeper with uh, the the pro raw um mm -hmm. apple has their pro raw 
um, the, their Apple Raw. Um, you have Instant Raw. What is the big difference between the uh, the, the two formats of Raw? How do they work well? How do they work together? Do or how do they work separately? Um, I, I guess there's the option for both, right? Sure. So, and if you've used Raw before, you know you know the more, most popular format is DNG, which is an yeah. open standard. So usually when people say Raw, sometimes it's just a synonym for DNG. But some and let me back up for a minute. Format. We were we were yeah. talking about. I apologize. This is on me. Um, I, you know, we were moving from Spectre to the now the very popular mm-hmm. and everybody should own Halide app. Um, mm-hmm. If you're watching this on YouTube, we'll have a link to everything in, in the notes below nice. or above. Uh, but uh, yeah, so carry carry mm-hmm. on. I apologize. So totally no problem. Um, yeah, so uh, raws, you know, and you mentioned earlier, like uh, a lot of people want to shoot raws, and it's basically a. Uh, a, a true raw, a raw for a lot of the time was basically when you take a photo, there are different steps that go into taking a photo. And one step before it does all of its processing for you is the sensor values. It, it captures light and records the very sensor values that go on uh, that are uh, captured on the sensor. And then it runs it through a bunch of plumbing to make the final developed image, right? And the problem is all of that plumbing loses information it loses all the original like light values from the scene uh it makes decisions around white balancing and you even if you end up with a perfect image you lose the latitude later if you're like well actually i wanted the the color balance was off let me go fix it well you lost the data and then the image falls apart yeah and so this is a traditional raws okay just like at that first step save all the uh, all these sensor values and ship them off to lightroom later and there are, it's amazing in many ways, you can reprocess your image how you want, but they're large files and they're slow to work with because it has to go start from first principles of reconstructing the image whenever you mess around with the dial. And so they're heavy, you know, heavyweight files and uh, there's, a, there's a number of issues. So uh, even before ProRAW, there, uh, inside the DNG spec, there's a variant of RAW known as linear DNG. So if you ever used in Lightroom, uh, the HDR merge feature, uh, and then yes. you know, I don't know if you noticed there's an export to DNG. Yep. What it's doing is it's taking these sensor values and kind of processing them. So it's still preserving most of the important juicy bits that you want to mess around with. Well, getting rid of the slow initial step where it kind of uh, does some initial calculations. And again, it's all in the article where there's illustrations and going fast and loose here but these linear dngs i'll say they give you like 95 percent of the latitude of a regular raw uh, yeah but the but they're so much easier to work with and in the case of pro raw apple actually then embeds extra data so that with one tap of a button you can end up with an image that looks just like the first party camera so that's the other issue with raws is that um our number one feedback from users when we were working on Halide 1 was, I took a photo that's a RAW, why doesn't it look like the same photo I'm getting out of the first party camera? And this goes back to even before Apple was doing the heavyweight computational stuff like Deep Fusion. It's just like, it was, Apple is just pushing and pulling those exposure sliders and contrast for you. And for a lot of users, like that's such a huge hump to get over if you're just getting into raw, right? You just want to really, you want something that's close to the first party camera. And then if you want to recover the highlights or uh, uh, juice up that saturation, you want to fiddle around there as opposed to, you know, starting up from scratch, figuring out like exposure and dynamic range. And it's just so many things to juggle with as a beginner. 
So um, then the second level was when Apple started doing the really deep computational stuff like Deep Fusion, which modifies and fuses together images. So that's a separate thing. But um, the purpose of ProRAW was to uh, get you to 80% of like the final Apple image that you've, you've come to expect. So it should be in the right exposure range. Uh, it should have the right detail recovery um, and shadow and highlight recovery. And so Instant Raw is to just get you to that point. So then you can take it from uh, Instant Raw into Instagram or whatever your um, other app is that you want to kind of post it to, right? Um, by the way, I'd like to point out Instagram does not support Raw. If you try to import a raw file into Instagram, it, it, it gives you like a low resolution image or it, it's totally underdeveloped or it's total garbage, right? Which is yeah. hilarious for an app that's supposed to be about photography. <laughs> like you have <laughs> one job. Um, I mean, there's so many, there's so much that's wrong with Instagram. I totally agree with you. It's... Yeah. So, so a lot of people also, I think, don't necessarily like, they aren't ready for a heavyweight editor like a Lightroom, right? Because you go in a Lightroom, it's like an airplane cockpit. Like you, go, you can do everything. You can like do a barrel roll. Like it's very <laughs> for a lot of people. And a lot of people, what they love about RAWs and possibly the number one thing people complain about with a first party camera is the noise reduction. And with RAWs, you get all of that really like gritty noise that you can um, uh, you know, put into your final image. So yeah. a lot of users, we think they, they take a photo of uh, Halide, they tap the instant RAW button. It looks about 80% of the way there. You bring it over in Instagram and there in Instagram, you can do the contrast and your, your vintage effect or whatever. And you yeah. get all of the grittiness <laughs> and noise, whatever you want. And yeah. so it, for many people, it allows you to skip over that middle step. Some people, um, sometimes, and this is not something we go for because we don't want to, we, we have to be careful not to compete directly with a first party camera because it's a really, it's such a high bar. Like we have so many other things we could do, but, um, you know, so some people though, they take a photo, they tap instant raw and they just love the results and they just post that online. It's like, it's great. Um, but you know, if you just want to take it into Instagram and do some light editing, uh, then we solve the raw compatibility problem. It comes with some caveats. Um, you know, the system doesn't let us right now do 10-bit images. So you're ultimately going to have to export an 8-bit eight eight JPEG. Mm -hmm. But if you're like messing around with like one stop of dynamic range or you're doing some lightweight like shadow recovery, then that's fine. Yeah. Especially for the type of user. The type of user who is intimidated by Lightroom is not going to care that they're doing editing on JPEGs that much. We're doing all the initial recovery for you. And a JPEG is good enough as your training wheels before you graduate to, you know, a Lightroom or whatever, if that yep. makes sense. Totally. Yeah. I fell in love with the Instant Raw. Um, Thanks. It is. And to, to your point, I think you mentioned in your blog post um having some of the the callbacks to the film days where th that noise looks more uh you start having that grain effect that that you, you get from a lot of the old film uh film stock that uh we used to shoot with and it just adds just so much of that character back to the photo and yeah. i i love that it it, it is it, when I want to be uh, not nostalgic, but I think uh, halide for, for, for me is uh, something that I like to do in the, the city. Uh, it is a great camera app uh, that is, is very, 
very apt to capturing those uh, the, the the various colors coming in. And part of it is my own personal preference. It just feels feels right. Um, and I got to say, uh, when it comes to iPhone photography, I am trying to be as uh, as far from technical as possible because my day-to-day job uh you know with, with wedding photography having the the bigger camera gear it's i want to take a break from that and so uh having a camera app that will do the thinking for me uh for the most part and just allowing me to just be in the moment with with with, with uh, a small device nice. is perfect for uh, me thanks um so it's a funny story you should mention that like with uh, cameras like you know, there's different origins. Like, I, I won't pretend that there's like a one moment where it was like, I need to build Halide. Uh, but like one of those moments that kind of like was a wake up call for iPhone photography is uh, I was on vacation and I have a digital SLR. I have, you know, great glass uh, and everything. And I was at uh, outdoors and uh, I was on vacation in Hawaii. Man, I miss traveling. Uh, and <laughs> we were like, uh, me and my friends were at like this waterfall and there's a lot of like, it's, you know, moist and everything there. And you know what? moisture got in the camera and I had to stop using this traditional, my digital SLR. I had to dry it out, turn it off. Do not what kind did it, you have? Want to damage it. Uh, it was like a, it's a Canon 60. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, and so, you know, when you get that moisture warning, like turn it off for 24, 48 hours, dump it in a bag of rice, whatever. Yeah. And so for like a day or two, I was just shooting with my iPhone and it's just so freeing to not lug around this gear when you want to be in the moment. And like I said, I was with friends it's like, you know, you don't want to be that friend who's like, oh, hold up, I got to, you know, got all this gear. Oh, my battery's dying, right? And it's just so free. And it's like, you get so many, then you get so many more opportunities that you'd never take a, a, a big camera to. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm on the same boat. It's just like, it's so nice to always have now an incredible camera at all times when you actually need it. So, yes. Yeah. I, um, I'm big into the Fuji system now. Uh, I, I come from Canon as well. And the funny thing is that with Fuji, it's kind of my mindset on how I feel about the casual photography with with the iPhone is now really prevalent in my uh, career photography in that Fuji, I love what they're doing with their uh, rendering um, and their film simulations. And it's like nailing uh, nailing the photos in camera is just amazingly rewarding uh so th- because you don't have to do as much post-production afterwards totally. and, and so, so yeah, I think this, yeah um this is the uh x100 i think this is like the first one I was getting back into photography i just yes. wanted something like a prime lens and i think i got this one used and so i would just walk around with it and mm-hmm. to your point like what they're they're really innovative what they're doing with their sensor design where they deliberately have the non-Bayer pattern on it so that yes. it has a more filmic grain and they can pull out the anti-aliasing filter to it so you get even super sharper images without having to worry about more lines right um that said at a certain point you're like well i already have a fixed prime so i have basically gutted this one i popped out the ir filter and turned it into an infrared ca- uh infrared camera so i have an IR oh that's filter crazy uh, or uh yeah and so it's but i still love it just like the also the fact that it's without is the older into, like, version now <laughs> oh oh 
Oh, you got the higher end one. So is that one with the interchangeable lenses? No, no, no. This is the X uh, X one hundred V, the fifth. Oh wow! I haven't paid that much. Uh, yeah, wow. Not, <laughs> um, attention to like where it's been going, you know. Yeah, yeah, this one, like, I love the compact size. I was about to say, actually, I wonder if it's because Leica was like, you know what, you're looking a little too much like a, like an M, because it's like the design <laughs> is like even the, like, I don't know, man. It's, it's just Oh, totally. Nice, it's such yeah. an old style. I, I threw an L bracket on, on mine. That's why it's a little bit chunky. Oh, uh, okay, that explains it. Okay. Yeah, I got the little thumb uh, grip here. And also yep. the fact that, like, what I love about the design is that I think they, uh, I forget who they got it from but like the fact that you're able to look through one eye to yeah. compose the scene and then the other one you can get composition but yeah it's a little it's a little precious little camera <laughs> so you're a fuji guy too so you're, you're even uh that, that puts you up many many more stops in my book <laughs> i i love all camera i love fuji because they're doing something innovative but every yeah. camera like they have something interesting going like sony is amazing as far as its tech right like the what they're doing there with like they they have especially for video they created that s log format so it's like yeah. I think they were they might have been the first ones to figure that out where you could uh, do like a higher dynamic range content inside of a 10-bit format with s log like bravo uh sony's ui is a completely different topic <laughs> like yeah <great> hardware <laughs> but the design that's the thing the design right um, but I guess like I, I guess it really boils down to Nikon versus Canon, right? That's the holy war because when you go with one set of lens uh, lenses, you're you're stuck. And I always felt uh, I w I went Canon early on, so I have no idea how Nikon is. But yeah. yeah, like I love that all cameras, used to be so. the war though. The, I mean that I, I wouldn't say that war is long dead. I think really, I would say so. I well. <sighs> Man, I really feel bad for, I mean, going off on a tangent, I really feel bad for Nikon right now. Um, mm. They are in a bad position. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the future of Nikon will be. I hope it's good because I'd really like to see that fight again. But now. Didn't, yeah. Didn't DJI buy uh, Hasselblad? Am I miss, missing that? Or like. Yes, they I, they purchased Hasselblad. Um Okay. I, I don't just, know enough about business to know <laughs> what 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 else uh, transpired. I know uh, Olympus just got bought out by somebody. Um, the thing is, like with big cameras, there's like the market is it's not imploding, but it's becoming super focused on people like you and me, right? Yeah. You have to imagine a lot of these companies must have been making tons of cash from point and shoot cameras, and there's that that dedicated point and shoot camera industry is dead yes. like even that fuji like that's still for camera nerds i love it but i would never buy one for my parents like so it's a super uh, it's interesting like seeing how the industry there there's a there's a uh coalition of all these big camera makers i forget what the name of it is but they publish their sales every year and i was looking at it and modern iphones iphones not even counting android iphones outsell dedicated cameras by like a ratio of like an order of magnitude like 10 to 1 it's yeah. insane so you know it makes sense that a company like a canon you know they still have the glass and the higher end stuff i'm surprised hasselblad i guess they're kind of like the ferraris where it's like you have to be you know super niche to be a hasselblad but i guess like canon at least is cornered like the prosumer market but it's not a great time if you if you don't have something higher end uh, that you're tackling it's and crazy. but to that end like Sony has sensors in everything. 
except for Canada. Yeah. Um, so technically, we are all, we are all uh, we're all Sony users <laughs> in some respect. Um, you have to wonder though, like when is like, and I have no insight whatsoever. Eventually, Apple's going to make their own sensors. Like they're making their own CPUs, they're making their own everything. Eventually, Apple's going to go with their. Own. I think they the previous generations had Sony or or even Samsung, which must have been awkward. But like you'd think that at a certain point, like their uh, Sony would lose Apple, and yeah. But that's true. Like Sony is like they got their finger in everything. So even if the the main market uh, you know goes away, they've <laughs> they'll be fine. They can keep making Playstations. Yeah. There you go. Um, but like Fuji now is really biting away at the medium format market. Um, tomorrow they're going to uh, presumably uh, kind of we're recording this on the twenty sixth. Uh, tomorrow they're going to announce an even cheaper uh, medium format, 100 megapixels, like for for the price of a Canon. Like that's that's unheard of, um, and really, really making me question what I have to sell so I can buy one. Um, that's, that's a classic uh, photographer problem. You're always swapping out gear. Like there's always yeah. a new thing around the corner. Yeah, and then like. Let's let's talk about logistics, and I think this is why Nikon is in such trouble. Uh, like what people don't consider, because why would anybody really need to consider this? But like all the things that go into a camera, um, from what I understand, like that flippy screen that flips out and turns, that's a product of Canon. That's Canon's patent. So anytime <laughs> they patented it. I, that's that's what I heard. Uh, I heard from, uh, and this is, I'm, I'm hearing this from a, a camera rep from a store that I frequent or used to frequent back in the before times. Um, but they were telling me that uh, that is a Canon patent. So like, but it get, makes you wonder like anything that, you know, simple things like flippy screens here could belong to some other patent. So like, you know, all that prices thrown yeah. thrown around it's and so, so funny like i don't want to nerd out here you got an engineer on your show so we're probably going to talk about <laughs> but no it's interesting especially in imaging and video like it's just such a minefield and a lot of the innovation that you see it, a lot of it's being held back by these patents so yes. let's say apple Agreed. wants to incorporate a new codec and i, I want to say the latest one h265 or, or um Peak. Like, I think there were surprise patents that were discovered there. They thought that they could get in there and like, oh, oh, here's another patent sitting in the corner. And so it's like, it's a complicated topic because you do want to, you want to incentivize people to create original ideas and you want to um, like reward people who, you know, move the needle, but then so much of it ends up slowing down innovation. And a classic example is an e-ink reader. Like there's one company that has owned the patent on e-ink for like 15 or 20 years or whatever. And as it's been expiring, I guess, that's when you're starting to see new innovation because no one else, what's the point? Like that you can't yep. build an e-ink reader. And I'm disappointed I don't have a color e-ink uh, display because I want to be able to read these, look at these gorgeous photos on my Kindle but yeah. it's still black and white, right? So it's just like, there needs to be reform there because in imaging, it's like even worse, man. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's Actually, crazy. There's that, yeah. That story about um, the SATs or whatever, a lot of students were having issues because the photos were heek, 
or H-E-I-C, and they yep. would upload it to a server. And I guarantee the reason the server couldn't read it is because the people who run that system would have to pay a license to read that file format. And it's like, oh, okay, now you fail your SATs because <laughs> blame patents on why you're failing your SATs. Yes. Crazy. Yeah. That That is, uh, but that's for a whole other podcast, I guess. Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. Because I could geek out too with that. Yeah. Um, but man, Ben... It was so awesome having you on the show. I'd love to bring you back nice. on uh, totally. in the future when Apple releases a whole barrage of other software. But, but before we go, um, can you share some future uh, ideas or anything like that that uh, Halide or Spectre is in the works? Uh, I, I'm oh, That's complete minefield. You don't have to answer, but we are such big fans of the, the, those apps. And it's like, uh, if you can't, that's fine. Uh, the, no, I, loaded I guess question. I'll give a short update. I'll give a short update. Is it like a lot of last year, we went into last year knowing that we're going to put, this is a difficult thing about supporting, like when you're building a new app and you're supporting an existing one, is you're splitting your effort. Like we were still updating the old version of Halide in addition to working on our big launch that was in October, right? Yes. So now that we're through that and we can put all the wood behind that one arrow, we've got like this huge backlog of stuff that we're hopefully gonna accomplish this week. We actually last year um, brought in uh, our first uh, uh, officially hired engineer, although she's really like a, a third member of the team. So we're expanding. So I think that you're gonna see a lot of, I'll, I'll be a little vague. You're gonna see a lot more stuff this year versus last year. Uh, just because nice. we were just like focusing on building all the infrastructure uh, to support all the new stuff. Um, and especially like we're really excited about how we're going to be able to experiment with uh, uh, Lux memberships. Um, we still support pay once. Uh, you yep. know, I, I think that, you know, it's it's a model that makes sense for a lot of software. But I think also now the fact that, you know, we can offer things knowing that there's if you I'll be vague, but knowing that there's uh, that we can support things versus via you pay once it's impossible to support certain things long term yes so keep your eyes on lux plus um check it out you still you know if you want to pay once go for it but definitely uh yeah make sure you're checking out our uh, twitter account and uh the, subscribe to the blog because we got a lot of cool stuff over the next year so yeah you're very awesome <laughs> and thank yeah. you for allowing me to geek out because it's it's been totally. a long time coming so i appreciate it man and uh we'll talk soon